0: What are you most loyal to? It's interesting the diversity of answers that uh, you can get when you're out on the quad, right? We're going to talk about loyalty today. And I want to begin with a novel that Alice Walker wrote years ago, The Color Purple. Maybe you saw the movie version of that. Remember Celie and Nettie, those two sisters? Very tight, very tight. Um, Color Purple is about mainly Celie's life in the rural south and when she was 14 years old she was forced to marry a widower farmer a guy by the name of Albert Johnson who treated her more like a slave than a wife Celie was uh, just absolutely elated when Albert Let Nettie um, move into their house. But Albert was a fiend and a scoundrel. And when he didn't get what he wanted from Nettie, basically chased her off the land. There's an emotional scene in the movie. It's just a gut wrenching scene when he actually picks. Uh, Nettie up, and, and, and she's literally dragging her heels, and he's, he's scooping her up and putting her over his shoulder and, and throwing her out of the property, and finally he's hurling rocks at her, telling her to, to, you know, to get off, and she's wailing, why, why, why? And Seely and, and at the height of that emotional scene, yells, write me, Nettie. Write me. And Nettie, in an act of defiance, looks at Albert and says, Nothing but death can keep me from her. Nothing but death can keep me from her. Um, And it's a picture of unfailing loyalty. Unfailing loyalty. And that's what I want to talk about today. That's what we see in the life of the Old Testament heroine Ruth. Ruth is a portrait of unfailing loyalty. And when I mean unfailing loyalty, I'm not talking about the kind of loyalty that you have uh, when your team has an undefeated season. I'm talking about another kind of loyalty. And we see this in the book of Ruth. If you have your Bibles, I would like you to turn uh, to Ruth chapter 1. You'll find that on page 188 of your church Bibles. Ruth is an amazing woman who was the great-grandmother of Israel's greatest king, King David. And what's amazing about her life is that Ruth was not an Israelite. Ruth was a Moabite. Uh, Ruth was an outsider, she was a foreigner, she was um, an immigrant, and yet this immigrant outsider from Moab, by God's providence, became the great-grandmother of Israel's greatest king, David. And the book of Ruth is the story about how that happened. And it's also a story about unfailing loyalty, and we see it particularly in chapter 1. What I want to do this morning is answer the question, where can we see unfailing loyalty shine the brightest? Where do we see it most? I want us to read, I'm going to read verses 6 through 22, then I'm going to tell the story and then make the point. So that's where we're going today. Ruth chapter 1 beginning in verse 6. When she heard in Moab, now that's not Ruth, that is Ruth's mother-in-law Naomi. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, Naomi and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law she left the place where she'd been living and set out on the road that would take them back To the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her daughter, her two daughters in law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown to your dead and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them, and they wept aloud and said to her, We we will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. At this they wept again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara. Because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call call me Naomi? The Lord has testified against me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. This is God's Word. Well, by the time we get to verse 6 in Ruth chapter 1, three husbands have already died. And as a Hebrew reading this as a part of the first audience, the average Hebrew would say, well, the story is over, but you know it's not. It's just beginning. It's just beginning. Naomi, with her husband Elimelech, and their two sons, Kilian and Malan, left Bethlehem for Moab because of a famine that was across uh, Bethlehem. And there they land in the area of Moab. It's really about a 50-mile trip from Bethlehem, but they didn't have interstates and automobiles back then. So it's qu- and it wasn't the flatlands, so it was quite a long journey to get to where there was food. And, and uh, Ruth chapter 1 drips with irony because Bethlehem means the house of bread, yet there's no bread in the house of bread because of a famine, so they have to go where the food is. And then the unthinkable occurs. Elimelech, whose name means my God is king, dies. My God is king is dead. Leaving Naomi with these two boys who marry outsiders. And then ten years of infertility occur. And then the boys die. And it's just a mess. Uh, Moab held the promise of food, but at the end of the day, three widows have held each other and they've attended three funerals. And there's just gut-wrenching grief going on, and this in a patriarchal culture where the kind of social safety nets we have in our affluent country just didn't happen back then. Verse 6, where we began reading, tells us that somehow Naomi discovered that the famine was over. And there's food, there's survival. So she's decided to go back, but the daughters-in-law are with her. They're staying with her. And there, as they enter the road, I mean, the road that would take them to Bethlehem, they have an argument right there on the entrance ramp. Naomi says, you're not coming with me. You're going back. I want you to go back. You go back to your family. Go back to your hometown. Go back to your gods. Go back. Return home. Return home is the most prominent verb in chapter 1. And they're, they're, and then they begin weeping again. They've wept at one another's funerals. They've lived together. They have a history together. And now she's telling them to go back. She'll never see them again. And they're just, they're just not going to do that. And Naomi says, what's the problem? Why, if you go to Bethlehem with me, you you will have resigned yourself to permanent widowhood. There's no sense in you doing that whatsoever. And and what, if I were to get married now and conceive now, what what are you gonna do, wait for the kids to grow up? It's not gonna happen. Go back home. Go back to your families. And they weep more. And then, you know, Orpah just, you, you know, you just... Feel the sigh, this heaving sigh of resignation because really, practically speaking, Naomi was right. She was right. And she weeps and she returns home. And she did exactly what you would want your daughter to do if your daughter was named Orpah. And she says goodbye in verse 14. But Ruth clung to her clung to her it's a very strong word it's a word that's used in genesis chapter 2 verse 24 when it says and a man shall leave his father and mother and cling to his wife and the two will become one flesh i'm not leaving you i'm not and naomi you know your sister-in-law's going back you're going back no i'm not going back i'm not and and see naomi has been issuing all the orders at this point you know you see that She's barking all the commands, and Ruth, Ruth barks back. She issues her, her own command: Stop saying that. Stop saying that. Stop, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. And then Ruth makes this astounding statement in verse 16. Ruth converts this Moabitus becomes an Israelite. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. She converts. That's a statement of faith. It's a profession of faith. Now, church family, we have lived for over two centuries in our country with religious freedom. And people can convert whenever they want to, however they want to. We've lived with that. And what you have to understand is that that just didn't happen among the nations surrounding Israel at that time. One just didn't up and convert. Back then, your your tribal deities and your... Uh, your loyalty to your family, that was as fixed and as defining as the color of your skin. You just didn't up and con- besides, what was the mechanism to do so anyway? You know, we can go to different embassies and renounce citizenships or apply for citizenship. There's a process, right? Where's the process? Here. wasn't well, really a process. But as far as Ruth is concerned, She is becoming an Israelite. She is renouncing her allegiance to the Moabite God, Chemosh, and she's becoming a worshiper of the one true God, Yahweh. And and to seal the deal, She says this in verse 17 May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. That is covenant language. In other words, in that day, when two parties wanted to agree and to create a covenant, you know, we sign contracts and have lawyers. They don't do that, they go to the Butcher store, and they get animals and they butcher those animals, slice them in half, and then the two parties walk together in a ceremony between this dead bull as if to say, If I break my covenant, may what we did to this bull happen to me. (laughs) See? Well, that's the kind of language that she uses. And when she says that, you know what Naomi does? She shuts up. That's what, that's what the verse literally says in verse 18. When Naomi realized that Ur- Ruth had determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. That's a very kind way of saying it. Literally, it says she stopped talking. They've got to walk all the way to Bethlehem. I mean, it is a silent journey there because Naomi's kind of peeved. She didn't want her to go with her. She wants her to go back. Ruth is resolved. And she goes back. And they finally get to Bethlehem. And the people are looking. They hadn't seen Naomi in what years? Is that, could that be Naomi? They're not talking to Naomi. They're talking to one another. Could that be Naomi? Naomi hears it all. Stop calling me Naomi. Naomi means pleasant or sweet. Huh? Huh? Stop calling me Naomi. My name is now Mara. It means bitter. For the Almighty had made me bitter. The Almighty, I I went away full. Husbands, sons, a future. The Almighty has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. You know what happens next? Nothing. The chapter ends. It's not very cheerful, is it? It's pretty depressing, pretty dismal. There it is. They return home together in Bethlehem. And yet, this is the place where we see the Word. That I want us to talk about today loyalty. Unfailing loyalty. See, see unfailing, where, does, where do we see unfailing loyalty shine the brightest? Isn't it in the depths of unspeakable loss? Isn't it? It's one thing to have unfailing loyalty when you get your way, it's one thing to have unfailing loyalty when it's sunny and 70 out. It's one thing to have unfailing loyalty when, you know, we've had the weather like we've had all this past week. And it's one thing to have this kind of unfailing loyalty. But I'm telling you, this is unfailing loyalty in the depths of unspeakable loss. And that's the big idea for the day. In the depths of our unspeakable loss... God's unfailing loyalty appears in the depths of our loss. When when we grieve and weep and when we feel like we're at the very end of our rope, it's at that moment, it's at that moment when we've bottomed out that God's unfailing loyalty, God's loving kindness, God, the Hebrew word is hesed, God's hesed appears. Church, when we hurt more than we feel God knows, it's at that point in time that God is closer and kinder than we ourselves know. In the depths of our unspeakable loss, God's unfailing loyalty appears. That's that's the point I want to drill in this morning. And, And so let's just kind of unpack unspeakable loss and unfailing loyalty. Let's first begin with unspeakable loss. I wonder how many of us are here today and deep down inside, you feel like Naomi. I wonder, you know, we're we're dressed pleasantly and we've got starch on our shirts and a button down, but, but, Internally, you feel you're going through unspeakable loss. Uh, Friday night at celebrate, uh, I heard four uh, short faith stories about unspeakable loss. The question, the question was, uh, when your life bottomed out, when your life became unmanageable, what did that feel like? What did that look like? Unspeakable loss, and I heard four different faith stories, but it. But the theme was similar loss of vision, loss of direction, loss of passion, loss of motivation, loss of energy, loss of community, loss of some of us are here today and we feel incredibly lonely. And some of you feel lonely because you just aren't able to connect with anybody. You're isolated. You're by yourself. You're not with relationships. And, and yet, others of you are lonely, and you're surrounded by relationships. You have community all over. There's people here. You're, you're surrounded by people. But for some reason, you don't feel like you can share the longings and hurts of your heart, you see. So, you can be lonely either with or without people. You're not able to share the struggles of your heart. And what Naomi teaches us is how important it is to speak what's unspeakable. As far as our loss goes, because you can accuse Naomi of a lot of things, but you cannot accuse her of being in denial. (laughs) This woman is not in denial. She says, the Lord's hand has gone out against me. That's not denial. (laughs) She says, the Almighty has made my life bitter. That's not denial either. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. And then this phrase, the Lord has testified. You see that there in verse uh, 21? The Lord has uh, testified against me. That's That's a legal word picture there. Naomi says, I feel like that I have been arrested, hauled into a courtroom, I have been tried, I've been convicted, I've been sentenced, and I am now being punished for a crime I don't even know what is. I don't even know what crime I've committed. Furthermore, it doesn't seem to matter because the prosecution's star witness is Almighty God. And how are you going to fight that? No wonder she says, call me Mara. You'd say that too. And 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 you notice she hasn't jotted these thoughts down in her prayer journal. Has she? Look at verse 20. She told them she's gone public with this. God's done this. He's made my life bitter. And what I have learned from Naomi is that when your life becomes unmanageable, you need to speak it. You need to talk about it. You need to share it. The worst thing you can do is keep it to yourselves. And yet, I wonder how many of us do. Because we're afraid that if we said what Naomi said the pastor might scold you. Oh, don't say that. How could you say that about God? Or the elders might reprimand you, or your small group might shun you. And you don't say that because you're afraid that if you did say it, it would signal a loss of faith. And what I want to say to you, what this pastor wants to say to you, is that the day you say that, out loud you haven't lost your faith i'm telling you at that moment you're expressing your faith you're expressing it i mean how, how else do you expect someone who has been hurt so badly what do you expect that person to say who takes god so seriously Naomi's. she hasn't lost faith in God. She's expressing her faith in God. I mean, think about it for just a minute. Naomi doesn't believe that God is absent, does she? God is very present. He's just against me. And it's not like she feels that God can't control the universe. She knows that He's the Almighty. He can can change this. He is sovereign. And because He is sovereign... He can either give blessing or withhold blessing and and you need to make peace with what I'm about to say. He can give blessing or withhold blessing and he does not need to explain himself when he does. I'd rather take Naomi's Raw, gritty faith any day than to pastor a church of sappy, religious sentimentalism. What about you? Just give me her gritty faith. I'll take that. You know, Naomi's great-grandson, he was into this kind of gritty faith too, you know. That's why we have Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, oh Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say, I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. You see, the Bible is filled with this kind of gritty faith that says when you are in the depths of your unspeakable loss, speak, speak. Speak to God. Speak to God's people. And in that moment, you haven't lost faith. You're expressing faith. For it is when you speak the unspeakable in prayer, after you've closed your eyes in prayer, you will then be able to open your eyes to see God's unfailing Loyalty. I didn't finish Psalm 13. But I trust in your unfailing love. That's the word chesed. It's such a rich word. No one English word can fully translated sometimes it means mercy sometimes it means loving kindness Sometimes here it means unfailing love and it also means unfailing loyalty david says after he speaks the unspeak after he closes his eyes in prayer to speak the unspeakable he opens his eyes trusting in god's unfailing love my heart rejoices in your salvation i will sing to the lord for he has been good to me and so you see it's when we are speaking the unspeakable in prayer that we open our eyes. And, and that's, where, that's where Naomi needed to grow because she, she had the prayer part down. She had the speaking the unspeakable down. But then, but then she needed to open her eyes so that she could see God's unfailing loyalty. Where was God's unfailing loyalty? Ruth! Ruth! Ruth was God's unfailing loyalty. God was sharing his unfailing loyalty through this godly woman, Ruth, and poor Naomi. She is so stuck stuck in grief. She just can't see it. She just can't see it. So, So she comes into Bethlehem. The two of them come together, and she says, I went away, fool. God has brought me back empty. Well, Ruth is standing right there with her. What is she, chopped liver? You just can't see it. And, and, and Ruth herself, Ruth herself has experienced grief. Has she not? Has, has not Ruth been without children? Has not Ruth lost her husband? How, how was it that Ruth was able to, to give unfailing loyalty to Naomi? Oh my goodness, I'll tell you why. Because somehow, somewhere, way, Ruth realized that her primary identity was not either having a husband or having children, but her primary identity was being an image bearer of the Almighty. That was her primary identity. Somewhere that truth got lodged into her soul, and she realized that her primary identity was to lead as a woman of God, Uh, Carolyn Custis James has written a fantastic devotional commentary on uh, the book of Ruth and it's called The Gospel of Ruth. Listen to her words. Nothing was taken from Ruth that kept her from being an image bearer. When widowhood or anything else alters a woman's life, the center of her identity doesn't disintegrate because she is not defined or redefined by circumstances, relationships, her resume, or public opinion. God defines her. A woman with no husband or no child has no less responsibility to bear the image of God in this world. Ruth is has not been demoted nor given a second-tier status. As far as God is concerned, he has a kingdom to build and an enemy territory he wants back. And Ruth's high calling as an image-bearer of God rendered her incapable of insignificance. She was God's unfailing loyalty to Naomi. And, And I'll tell you this much, Here's the beauty of such unfailing loyalty. Ruth's unfailing loyalty nurtured Naomi while Naomi was was really in a paralyzed state. She nurtured Naomi to the point where by the time we get to chapter 3, Naomi has been healing. And she's healed to the degree that Naomi begins to take leadership and direction, and responsibility, and, and she starts planning the meeting of this man that she wants Ruth to marry. She has so healed because of Ruth's unfailing loyalty that Ruth, who in chapter 1 said, stop saying that, says in chapter 3, verse 5 to Naomi, I will do whatever you say. See, how, wow, wow. So who are you in this story right now? See, who are you? Are, are, are you Naomi? Then I would plead with you, close your eyes in prayer and speak of the unspeakable loss that you feel. Speak it to God and speak it to God's people. Please, please. And then, when you've prayed, open your eyes and look for God's unfailing loyalty because my guess is it's a lot closer than you think. So often we want to see unfailing loyalty Well, that appeared in like the book of Exodus with red seas parting and pillars of fire at night, cloud by day, and Shepherd's staff that becomes snake Oh I like that unfailing loyalty we're, we're, How do we see unfailing loyalty In the book of Ruth Through a famine You know uh, A barley harvest You know It's about as exciting As watching paint dry But listen God's just as active Even if it is Watching paint dry And he's going to be working through the mundane and ordinary circumstances of life. And if you'll just open your eyes, you'll see it. You'll see it. Well, it would be great for us to become more and more like Ruth, right? Wouldn't it be great for us to have such a loyal allegiance to Yahweh, to the God of Israel, that she is free to leave She's free to leave her homeland. She loves, she loves Israel's God so much, she's free to leave her family. She's free to leave her family's God. She's free to love radically. She's free to show barrier-breaking grace and commitment to a world filled with orphans and widows and strangers and outsiders, people who feel rejected and marginalized. Free to be the loving arms of Jesus and to cling to someone whose future is painted dark with sorrow. Wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great if our church became a church of Ruths, a community of Ruths? How would our how would our uh, how would our world look if the Ruths just poured out of this church gathering to shine the light and the glory and the unfailing loyalty of God? This Ruth. Who was an outsider, this Ruth who became a suffering servant, this Ruth who emptied herself, this Ruth points us to a greater Ruth. A greater Ruth. You see, this Ruth clung to Naomi at the risk of her life, but Jesus, the greater Ruth, clung to us on the cross at the cost of his life. This Ruth said to Naomi, nothing but death will keep me from you. But the greater Ruth, Jesus said, not even death will keep me from you. That's that's the Christ we worship. And it is as we draw our primary identity from him, we are free. Free to love radically. Free to go places free to serve. Amen.